This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to my Monday Twilight Show with me, Hannah Wilson. Tonight, I am joined by Toria Bono, um, who's going to be talking about her book, Tiny Voices Talk, Education, Engagement, Empowerment. So feel free to add in your messages if you have any questions you'd like to ask. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening. Can you hear me all right, Toria? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? I can. Brilliant. This is, this is a good start. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and joining my show. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Um, so um, it feels like it's been a long time in the making, but it's, it's waiting for that time of the year where things calm down, isn't it? Yeah, I'd like to say things have calmed down. They haven't. They seem to be going faster and faster <laughs> and faster. But yeah, it's been a long time in the making. And I'm so, so pleased to finally be here with you. And I imagine this book must have been a long time in the making. It's It's got so much in it. How How long did it take you to kind of put this all together? Oh, much longer than I thought. So I remember having the initial conversation with Ian Gilbert in April 2021. I got the initial submissions in in the summer of 2021. And there were sort of 70 plus submissions that came in. And my, oh gosh, I've never written a book before. And it, was, it wasn't something that I really knew anything about. So I just assumed, as you do, that basically all the submissions would come in. I'd, I'd, and then I'd put a title on the front and I'd send it off and that would be the book done. Um, that's not the case. It really isn't. So I sent it off and it was, <laughs> it was a thousand plus words long. And, it, and basically Crown House came back and said, it's, you know, it's too long and actually you haven't written anything i think i'd written a one paragraph introduction but because it was all about everyone else's voice i felt really awkward using my own voice so we sort of went back to the drawing board with the many many contributions and then um many many months later i think it was october 2022 it was finally published but it took yeah, it, it took hours and days and weeks of reading through, checking and just making sure that what sort of my vision, that sounds really bizarre, but my, my vision of what I wanted actually worked. It's, it's getting it to all work together. And it and it and it does, because like, as I read through it, I was like, oh, this one's my favourite. And then I get mm. to the next one. I'm like, oh, no, no, this is my new favourite. And I just like, I found that the whole way through. I'd like, I've really struggled to pick ones to talk to you about because I'm like, I like them all. <laughs> so I can't imagine if you had even more than that trying to narrow it down must have been very difficult. It was really challenging. Plus, because I'm all about giving people voice, it was really tricky having to say to some people, I'm, I'm really sorry, we can't use your piece. But actually, what what I did was I focused purely on the engagement, the education, the engagement, the empowerment, 
the every single um, piece needed to tick those three boxes. Um, so there, there were a lot of amazing contributions that were about people's educational journeys, where they'd come from, when they where they'd gone to, but they didn't necessarily empower the reader. They didn't necessarily give the reader something to take away with them. And as a teacher, very selfishly, if I do anything, I want a bit of a takeaway. You know, yeah. and that was really important to me. So that the reader didn't just feel that they were reading many, many stories, but actually they were gaining something to put into their own practice. I think that's the thing. So like all of it, I was like, oh, yeah. Or, or a lot of them either resonated with me or I was like, mm. oh, yes, I like that. Or, or that's that's what I do. I do that, too. And it was it was it was really nice to kind of read. And there's there's bits like I think um, later on, it talks about a book club and that's something I want to start. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, OK, now I've, I've, I've I've got somewhere to start because I had no idea how to kind of think about that. So there's like little bits for kind of everybody and everything. It's just so broad. Yeah, and I think I wanted a lot of the time we talk about education as in the different sectors. So you've got the early years, you've got your primary, you've got your secondary, further education, higher education. And yet never the twain shall meet. But actually, we are all part of a child's journey from the beginning to the end of their education. And I think what I really wanted to create was more of a collective voice. And lots of people who have read the earlier things have gone, oh, my goodness, I'm in secondary, but that really resonates. And primary teachers who have read the secondary contributions have done the same. So it's more about people understanding and recognising the power of each sector and, and actually how it reflects their own sector. I, I completely agree because we had that um, argument at my house because uh, my my mum's a teacher but she was originally a primary school teacher and yeah. my sister's a senko so we and then yeah. I'm very much curriculum so we kind of it's it is it does cross over far more than people consider. It really does, and where I saw that most, if I'm honest, was on Twitter in in my sort of early days on Twitter when I created the sort of tiny voice talks thing on there, and suddenly. I was chatting away to people that were teaching in a different sector to me, and yet I had so much in common with them. And I thought, wow, you know, often as teachers, we don't even get to chat to people that are at the same primary, you know, at a primary school down the road. But here I am talking to all these people from different sectors in education, and we have so much in common and I really wanted to sort of tap into that and I do the same with with the podcast I want to tap into the fact that we are educators in every sense across every sector and how how did kind of the Twitter start originally what kind of made you come up was it just purely by coincidence that you had that kind of hashtag and then it just blew oh it was it was me throwing my toys out of the pram if I'm honest (laughs) <laughs> I honestly I got really stroppy one night so I was um I had recently joined Twitter for the second time as such in January 2020 and I put a couple of tweets out there and no one answered them and I was getting really annoyed because I was like well that's not fair like if you've got a big voice on Twitter everyone answers and you get like 300 comments and you get 3 million retweets and I put something out there which is actually a valid question and no one answers it and I found myself really getting annoyed and I also found myself getting very tongue-tied on Twitter so 
people would put out questions like, you know, I'm teaching year four, um, has anyone got any good book recommendations? And I did, but I would go, oh gosh, what if the, no one likes my, my recommendations? What if my recommendations are really poor? What if I recommend something that everyone jumps on and goes, oh my God, that's like the worst recommendation ever. So I thought, no, so I, I didn't have a voice, but I was really annoyed that I didn't have a voice because I was thinking, well, I, I have every right to be here. Anyway, what happened? And I don't quite know how it occurred. I ended up talking to another couple of tiny voices that I'd never talked to before. And we decided, you know, it was very much, I said, right, well, I'm going to create something that is for tiny voices to find their voice. So it started off as, um, it wasn't tiny, it was Tiny Voice Tuesday, because I decided on Tuesdays, tiny voices would be heard. Then there was Tiny Voice Tuesday Unites. Then I created a TVT tag team, which is, Basically, any tiny voice that had a question would be answered by the TVT tag team. And I think I had 250 plus educators that were wow. willing to answer questions. <laughs> I've got an Excel spreadsheet. It's phenomenal. And I would tag them in. So I put the question out and I'd tag them in. And then, as I say, the tiny voice Tuesday unites thing on a, which I put it at the beginning of, you know, on my profile at the beginning of a Tuesday and people would just say hi you know this is me um and it was just a way of it was like a community center where people would enter and just say hello this is me please enter you know please say hi and a, a very easy way for people to find their voice now it's just so happened that I did that in February 2020 and if you remember rightly March 2020 most educators were either teaching from their houses or were going in and teaching in bubbles, which was incredibly isolating. And what happened was Tiny Voice Tuesday Unites fundamentally erupted because so many educators just wanted to say, hi, this is me, I'm feeling alone at the moment. And so I think at its height, there are about 500 people on there a week just saying hi. And from there, um that's when the podcast sort of I was asked to to start a podcast so it it all happened accidentally because I threw my toys out the pram <laughs> but it's just amazing isn't it especially I think that was the thing with COVID is that everyone was at home and it was just this big unknown and not that like I do think for some reason teachers get a bit of a bad press that we're all at home and we're sat at home and you feel like you're doing stuff, but it's really difficult to know whether you're doing the right stuff when the media are saying that you're not really doing anything, but we are, we know that we are, and we know that we're doing good. Mm. But sometimes it's just that reassurance, especially with the unknown of COVID that we were doing the right thing. It was just nice to be able to connect with other people. It was so necessary because it was an incredibly lonely tricky time I think for, uh, you know for educators because as you say we weren't necessarily getting the best press we were <clears throat> often being lambasted for something that we were doing wrong even though we were trying absolutely everything you know and it didn't seem to matter what we did in the way of virtual teaching remote teaching or indeed face-to-face -face teaching we weren't getting it right and I think it was an incredibly challenging time um, I. I feel that sometimes the press can be quite hard on teachers 
because I think and I think you know because we are looking after children people can be like oh well you know that they're not doing well by the children but actually we worked so so hard I don't know any educator that wasn't working their socks off over COVID to give their children the very best education they could and I think you know getting together on Twitter and just feeling one amongst many and just feeling that level of support was so critical because actually a lot of us had lost our school communities you know even when we were going in I, I don't know about you or anyone listening but I was you know the first time round, I went in and I was basically teaching a bubble and that was the only people that I was allowed to see you know I couldn't there was no staff room there was no community there was no chatting to other teachers it was I walked in I taught my bubble I left it was really incredibly hard it was it was just it was just a really different time and it was really isolating and I think it mm. was kind of having that place to kind of be reassured and and I think it was new new territory as well which makes everybody nervous but actually I think as teachers we kind of took it on board and developed and and the 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 niceness of everybody sharing and supporting each other I did feel like as a community we kind of all came together everyone was quite happy to like this is what I'm doing this have this resource Mm. and it's and it kind of I feel brought teachers together a little bit more it really did and I think that's so vital because teaching can be one of those jobs that it can feel somewhat isolating if you let it you know because we are going into a classroom we are often on our own within that classroom we might have a teaching assistant but it is a very it sounds bizarre because we're, we're surrounded by people all the time but it can be a very solitary profession if we're not careful and I think that's that's the nice thing about it is is that you have this place where people can go and and talk and and find that place where they don't they can ask a question that they're afraid mm. perhaps to ask in the staff room that there's somewhere else that they can do it it's like not safely but have that place that the community aren't going to reject them they're only going to support them yeah and I think because often I mean even within your own school um people can become very nervous about asking a question because they think oh I don't want to say that because people just think I'm silly but actually on a forum where questions are just the natural thing to do it's it's really safe and actually I, I some people just wanted me to ask questions but not name them they didn't want to to be retweeted or whatever they just wanted an anonymous question asked and that felt really safe for them but they got the answers they needed and from that kind of where did where did you decide to write this book was that quite early on or from it or was no. it actually something that just kind of somebody approached you or did you come up with the idea yeah well everything I've done has just been an accident if I'm honest I never <laughs> people find it strange but I never overly plan anything and I sort of happen upon stuff quite accidentally so what happened was I started the podcast in August 2020 Um, I was asked if I would start a podcast to interview quieter voices in education. So I started the podcast, Tiny Voice Talks. And, um, you know, I've put out weekly episodes ever since, um, just interviewing the quieter um, educators, actually from all over the world. I've, I've spoken to some fascinating people. I really have. And 
um, I then was approached by Paul Dix to um, host a show for Teacher Hug Radio called Origins. And I was doing that, and one of my guests happened to be Ian Gilbert. Um, and at the end of interviewing him, he said to me, and this was all off air, he said, uh, are you tiny voice? Because I never ever told anyone that I was tiny voice talk. <laughs> so it was just, you know, I was just Tori who did the interviews on Teach Hug Radio, but I never sort of said, oh, and that I do this as well. And he said, are you tiny? And I went, yeah, I am. And I was amazed that he'd even heard of Tiny Voice, but I've subsequently learned that lots of people have heard of Tiny Voice and what went on. Um, and so he said, wow, you know, I'm, I've, I've heard about you and I've heard about the stuff that you're, you've been doing, blah, blah, blah. Do you think there's a book in it? And I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose here. So I thought, oh, of course, yes, absolutely. And he, said, <laughs> he said, and what would this book look like? And I think in that conversation, I threw everything in the kitchen sink into what my idea for this book would look like and he said oh right he said what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you through an author questionnaire so again when I got the author questionnaire I threw everything into it including the kitchen sink and <laughs> Ian came back to me and said what well, I do you think we might need to hone it down slightly because <laughs> you know quite mammoth what you're thinking and it was actually so it came from there and never in a million years did I think that that initial conversation would lead to, to the book. And that's the funny thing, because nothing I've ever done has ever been intentional. But I think so many people actually feel they have a tiny voice. And so really engage with the concept of tiny voice talks and actually being heard. And that's sort of what's happened. I think, you know, from the Twitter, um, the the, the Twitter tag, which still goes on every Tuesday, every Tuesday on my, you know, you'll see people saying hi um, to the podcast, to the book. It's all about, you know, educators feeling empowered and sharing their experience to benefit the lives of other educators and children. I think that's something I like. I very much resonate with this. I have very much like kind of imposter syndrome, and I feel like mm. I kind of. I know what I'm talking about and I know I'm good at what I do and I'm, I'm an art teacher but I'm national subject lead so I help mm -hmm. uh, 46 schools across the trust with a couple of other art teachers and it's mm. but I, I, I still feel imposter syndrome when I'm like offering advice and and suggestions and when I'm on kind of see different ones come up I'm like oh I, I could answer that it took quite a long time of kind of writing things and then going oh no they'll just think I'm silly and deleting it it took quite a mm. few years before I'm like no I'm now confident enough that I can actually send that and know that I'm offering actually sound advice it really took quite a few years to kind of build up that confidence so it's definitely I think I don't know whether that's a teacher thing that we're so used to putting on kind of almost a show in front of the class or whether that we kind of all have these tiny little voices in the back of our head but we're just so used to having that bravado whether perhaps teachers are misunderstood in terms of thinking that that we're always confident I think I mean I I actually have just well beginning of this year I completed a coaching apprenticeship I was very pleased a level five coaching apprenticeship and a level five diploma in coaching alongside everything else in the book I decided to do that and what I found really interesting coaching teachers is that yes that imposter syndrome is something that seems to resonate with most teachers and I think because we are so other focused we are so focused on the other people in our world whether that be our colleagues the ch mainly the children in our classroom yeah. 
actually we lose sight of who we are and we lose sight of our accomplishments at times and sitting back and talking about those and saying you know look at what i've achieved is actually really really challenging it's much easier to negate what we've done and say well done to someone else but it's you know and, and i found that with coachy after coachy after coachy the fact that actually feeling enough and actually feeling good about who we are as educators is challenging because it's Which a is bit why I, yeah that's why I've, i put the empowerment thing in the book why i'm yes. always talking about empowerment it's so important that we feel empowered we're very very good at empowering others but exactly are we yeah ensuring we're empowering ourselves and it's that i think i'm trying to find where it is now that bit at the end where it's like don't forget to kind of like promote others and be positive but also like be you but be compassionate like we're, we're we need we're all human at the end of the day and not be so hard mm. on ourselves and also other people um so it's it's yeah I, I did I did enjoy that it just made me think of that bit um mm. but you've got kind of it it's split into six sections um yes. and what would you kind of decide on, on those bits so you've got um tiny voices talk about be, being that teacher uh talk about teaching uh inclusion professional personal development stories and um ways to find your voice so i don't know whether you want to start on the the was it easy to find where to start i imagine it must have been quite difficult well as i say my initial starting point was just basically putting all the stories together sending them off to you know a crown house and saying there you go i'm done <laughs> and them coming back and going oh no and i mean they gave some sound advice what they said was you need to you need to section it you need to make it very clear that there are sections to the book you need to introduce each section and your voice as such is the thread that runs through it that connects everything together and you keep bringing people back to the tiny voice element of it um so i went away with the various chapters and i thought okay what what is it that i really want you know the people to, to be reading about and i think that that concept of being that teacher you know we want to be that teacher i don't know any teacher that becomes a teacher and goes oh do you know what i just want to be an average teacher basically i don't i don't really care that much <laughs> yeah i don't know anyone most teachers want to be a teacher that is remembered when a child is 70 years old talking to their grandchildren going oh i remember mrs so and so you know because actually we we do our job and i think so many of us are really passionate about doing our job well that we want to touch the lives of our children that so much that we are memorable and we are we really do show that we care deeply and to me that is that teacher you know, I had um, anyone that's read the book will know that my actual education as a child was pretty horrific. It was, you know, I I had one teacher that was that teacher and the rest proved that they, they really weren't. And that, that teacher, sorry, that I had two, I had two teachers and it was the two teachers I had that I knew I wanted to be like. 
And yeah. that's what that first part was very much about. Because as I was reading the various um, contributions, that was coming up again and again and again in the, you know, in, with people's voices, basically the fact that actually there are certain things that you can do that really, really support and help young people. And, you know, I think, yeah, so that's where that one, that came from, because I was thinking, well, how do I fit all of this together? And I've got to be honest and say, Leanne Herring, her chapter, which is Be That Teacher, gave me the idea of naming the whole section, Tiny Voices Talk About Being That Teacher. And it's, it's, it's funny to say that because I, I, um, I take my, a group of kids surfing um, after school um, and I was talking to the surf instructor and he's actually contemplating becoming a teacher. And he was mm. like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, oh, but it's just so good. He's like, he, he's saying that how he really likes having uh, when they have the um, school special schools come or the, the um, schools where the children have misbehaved too much. They go and say that he's like, I like connecting with those kids. And I was like, that's what the teaching is about. It's not necessarily teach. It's finding the connections with the different kids and seeing them yeah. succeed. It's, it's so gratifying and it's not necessarily... The hard kids, yes, they're harder and testing, but actually they're more enjoyable to teach when you get that connection and you can see them grow. It's it's just a really lovely place to be. Um, so it's just yeah, it just really made. I was like, oh, it's it's just like this. <laughs> you you mm. it's 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 like almost like that's the high that that's the positive. That's why you do the hard work. That's the bit that really kind of is the payback almost um, for for giving everything to your job they're the little moments yeah and it's I've been teaching in the same catchment for the best part of 23 years so within a mile radius and I'm I actually live in the middle of that as well I just like to state which is even more frightening I've I taught in the infant school for 13 years I went elsewhere for five years came back and I now teach in the junior school um, and they're both six form intakes so they're huge 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 schools and I live in the middle and I bump in an awful lot to ex-students and they always say hello they always smile and they're always really polite and I'm just it makes me glow because I think oh it's so nice that actually they're not running the other direction from me you know um and and I really I really relish that you know, I, I love the fact when I bump into old students. It's, it's that. And I think it's, it's also that time of year, isn't it, when you get thank you cards when the GCSE yeah. students are leaving. I remember it was actually a Christmas card that I've, I've still got it. I kept hold of it, of a student saying that they find school really dark. They really struggle to come into school. But my lessons are the bit that they look forward to and they make coming into school easier and I had I kept that card and that kid is now leaving me this year and is a completely different student um but they've been off on study leave and um when they've been coming in for their exams apparently they've been trying to find me and I don't I'm, mm. I've got a broken foot I don't work that hard quickly around school but um, they came and found me on my lunch break, break in another room they were like we're looking for you all week and I was like oh sorry they were like we haven't caught up we haven't had a chat about everything I've like really missed like talking yeah. to you and finding out like explaining everything that's going on and it's like I just didn't realize going on suddenly how much I missed like 
just having you as a teacher and it was like oh it was, just, it was lovely to see how happy they were before they left as well um but yeah it, you just don't realize how much of an impact you can have because sometimes they're having a hard time at home and actually we're the constant and we're the positive yes. um and we need to not forget about that absolutely and i mean you are that teacher to that student and that's i just think that's so important it really is you know being that teacher and i think as well like as teachers with the government we need to we need to have our voices heard more as teachers mm. um and that was something that kind of drew me in in a couple of the sections on the first chapter because obviously there's the bit about better period education mm-hmm. and i think that's something that definitely needs to be improved and i think as well like with schools coming in with like the men and poor policies as well but actually that's probably something that we need to teach our children about and actually get them to understand it at a way earlier age than us having to figure it out and work it out by ourselves later on um, and I think it's 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 interesting how legislation goes through, but actually as a collective, we if we shout loud enough, these things can change. Um, but it is like quite often reading these, and same as the infor- uh, trauma informed practice. Obviously, yeah. with COVID, there's just so much more trauma that these children have experienced, and actually we need to really look at how we deal with that and and what that means for our students. And things need to change. And it's I, th- I think. It's one of those we're getting there in terms of kind of what education needs, but it's still not necessarily getting it across to the public and kind of what what the what schools require to really help the students more. Because it's more than just your core subject. Yes, it is so much more. I mean, I've been teaching, as I say, for 20 plus years and it is a different world teaching education is a different world from the one that I initially qualified in really and I found when I joined Twitter in 2020 I was learning about stuff that hadn't even dawned on me before it really hadn't Um, and it was fascinating reading Gemma's Gemma's piece on period education because you know I as a year four teacher I teach about periods, but I hadn't considered half the things that she was writing about. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's so important that we get this absolutely right. And I've just I've just finished my period education. Um, was it last week? Yes, I did I did lessons in it. And actually my teaching of period education was three million times better because of what I have learned from Gemma, interestingly. And I think each chapter has really improved my practice and that's that's the thing they're not they're not long chapters they're like little snippets and i like the fact that the top of them as well it says how long they take to read so it's like okay i've got this long i'm gonna have this one tonight and then i'm like i'm feeling a bit tired i'm gonna go for a shorter one um well that's the teacher in me three minutes yeah that's the teacher in me it's like oh break time right i've got three minutes i'm gonna quickly read this or lunchtime or i've got a couple because we have so little time in our day yeah you know we have massive to-do lists so little time and sometimes if you pick up a book you know an education book they can be huge tomes you think oh goodness i just don't know quite where to start whereas this is very much let's dip in and i'm going to tell you how long it's going to take you to read this chapter so yeah that was the idea because i for me actually you asked how i originally set out i originally set out with all the timings in order 
Oh, okay. <laughs> that was my original thing. And um, that was, and the crown said, actually, that's, that, that's great on one level, but on another, you're not really telling people what sort of section they're, they're going into. And I was like, okay. That's why yeah, I, but, uh, I think I think as teachers, that's quite nice, though. I think it is <laughs> that like, I've not got long, but I want to I want to just yeah. check out and just do a little bit something. Um, it, it's also I'm like quite aware of how quickly I fall asleep, depending on the time of year. <laughs> We're yes. at the week before half term. I need three minute ones. But mm. um, yeah, and it's just it is it, like you can really hear your voice as well at the end at the start of each each ones. And it's it's nice to kind of see your take on it and then see how the like kind of articles kind of reflect that afterwards which is nice but I, I like the fact I don't think I you you write like you're you were some kind of rebel but I don't believe it <laughs> oh it's I think I'm really quite beige but apparently I am relatively rebellious um but I I sort of I don't know I, I'm very I have very strong opinions in the educational world, I think, because I really deeply care about the children I teach getting the right sort of education. And I think that's why um, if we go on to, if I jump to the Tiny Boys Talks About Inclusion, the reason I wanted a whole section on inclusion is because I felt really strongly that inclusion is something that has grown so much over the last five years and I I have but yeah I have really worked hard to develop my own understanding about it that I wanted inclusion to be very much part of the book and for us to actually look at not just special needs but also um, you know LGBTQIA plus race disability all of that and not shy away from any of it because we can't as educators we cannot shy away we have to be educated we have to understand and we have to ensure that we are doing the right thing and that's the thing like I'm crossing over a couple of them now but there's the one that's like staying under the radar and talks about kind of yeah. not wanting people to know I think it was was it autism that they had um yeah that's and that was a teaching assistant wrote that and he didn't want people to know that he had autism because he was worried that he would be judged i know teachers who are dyslexic that don't want to say i am dyslexic <laughs> well, that's because... my one i'm i'm dyslexic ah, um, right and actually i kind of hid i'm having very very like difficult times in in school cuz mm. i spelt very phonetically and i spelt they t h a y and I yeah. remember my English teacher getting so annoyed with me in primary school. They made me write it out a hundred times. Oh about gosh. halfway through, I changed to T-H-A-Y again. And I wrote it about 50 times the wrong way and didn't even realise. Mm. Uh, I was just so oblivious to it. And like I'm, um, I remember having spelling tests and they said that if everyone got 30 out of 30, the teacher would do the can-can on the table and buy us all McDonald's. And I was the only student to get 29 one week and ruined it for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like that pressure. Um, yeah. But it wasn't actually until I got one, one of my colleagues at school is an English teacher and she's dyslexic and the science teacher is also dyslexic. So we have a secret dyslexic society where we <laughs> let the dyslexic students know that we're dyslexic. Mm. Um, and actually when she, they, uh, she came onto my show and we did a, a chat about it and it wasn't actually till I spoke out loud about it 
that we realized that we did a lot of the same things like when we had cpds we'd read like the first couple of lines and then we'd skip and read the last paragraph so that when it came to talking about it it made it look like we'd talk through all of it but actually in hindsight we were never going to be quick enough to read it all yeah Uh, so it was the the little coping things we did but it is quite funny when we go um, i'm like right so i'm dyslexic so i know i hate spelling tests so i'm not gonna when i give the results out if anybody we're gonna go for like nine out of ten instead of ten out of ten because i can't Mm. do it to you guys and explain them the story and they're like i'm dyslexic too but they will shout it out and it's like it's now like this proud thing that we are in in our rather than it being this secret thing um but we're saying that actually it's like our super we we we, our powerpoints are beautiful because we're really creative Mm. and we're like like, nobody else beats me on displays and stuff and it's like because actually there are positive sides to it it's just finding it but yeah it that i i that one definitely resonated with me. But the, the, the two kind of initially, I was quite secret about it. It wasn't actually till I started yeah. talking to other people. It was like, actually, this shouldn't shouldn't be something that holds me back. It should be something that's it's got positives to it as well. But I think that's it. I mean, that's so wonderful that you are using it and you're sharing your superpower with others and talking about actually the positives within there, the things that you're really great at. Because it, you know, I know people that are terrified of letting people know that they, you know, are dyslexic or have ADHD or autism or whatever, just out of fear of, oh my, if I share that, then I will be judged. And it's actually, well, you're, you're divergent. You're not, you know, we, we should not, in education especially, we should not be judging people for being neurodivergent. Um, and that's, I, I think it's, you know, it's something that I address in the book and yeah I you know I, I feel really strongly about it so yeah going back to your point am I a rebel I probably am <laughs> you know I just although I try really hard not to be it's that it's that fighting for what you believe in in education mm. isn't it yeah and I can't not that's my problem I'm really really well behaved unless something really bothers me and then I I just can't ignore it I really can't. See, I'm exactly the same. So I get I get I get really annoyed if if people try and make out that it's oh it's, it's the those students it's just that class they're just a bad class that's why the results are bad and I'm like no because mm. I teach those same kids and I get good results like it's not yeah. it's not it's not the class you just haven't worked out how to teach them properly but don't you don't blame them because it's not them and I, I that's one of my things that I, I raised my head up at, and I'm just like nope mm. no nope, because they can be good and they can they can work you've just got to find out how to make them tick um it's quite interesting absolutely i think you know that that that's one of the things that i struggle with i I don't like it it's it's actually in his chapter um in mr b's chapter he does finish with you know look at the able not the label i think that's his chapter yeah and i think that's so important you know let's not label people let's not label classes or groups of children or a child or indeed a staff member you know let's look at Let's look at them as a whole and look at look at what they can do. Look at that able part of them and and really sort of try to try to enhance that. And I think that's the thing. It, it's it's difficult in education because there's this pressure on them all to do well in English and maths yeah. and, and have this kind of good progress eight score. But actually, that not, not doesn't always necessarily benefit the student. And actually, it's kind of working out where their passions lie and where their strengths lie. 
and getting yeah. I think education be flipped a little bit in terms of it's getting them to find a career that they can be happy in and have good well-being that doesn't necessarily rely on salary it's, it's about contentment and I forget what the actual factors are now but I know that I think it's in 10 or 20 years time the jobs that we are training children for now basically won't be around because life is changing so much digital worlds are changing so much if you look at google and so on i mean google someone said to me that google now don't actually um do any initial training for employees because everything's always changing so any initial training they do would be absolutely redundant by the next day <laughs> that's crazy and i'm like wow and i think it's so important that we are forward looking and really considering that we are basically creating children for the, the future that ahead of us, but we actually don't know what it looks like, you know, and they're not, it, who was I, I was speaking to one guest on the podcast and he said, we're still teaching them in Victorian classrooms, you know, classrooms that were sort of created in the Victorian area, era. We're still teaching in that way in you know in certain schools and actually what we're doing is we 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 need to be teaching children for the careers that they're going to be going into potentially i think that's 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 my that's my golden egg is the fact that like mm. i'm like oh well at least if you take an art subject that's not gonna be it's gonna be it's the one that's least likely to be autonomized <laughs> and like made mm. into uh robots so it's just like it's it's suddenly it becomes a little bit more appealing that it is actually something that's not going to change that much there's still going to be the need for the people to be creative to come up with the ideas um so i guess it's it's it's, it's, it's that voice isn't it championing you've got that yeah. in the start haven't you championing your uh, your person but i i like to champion my subject i'm quite a bore like that <laughs> but i think that's really important i think creativity is absolutely vital you know i I don't know about secondary, but I know whenever children came back into primary after COVID, a lot of creativity had been knocked out of them. They weren't quite sure how to be creative yeah. because there hadn't necessarily been. It, online, they were doing lots of sort of the reading, writing, math stuff, but they weren't necessarily harnessing their creative side in the way that they do in school. And I think creativity is so, so vital. And I think it's it's that thing as well that um, I can't remember, you wrote it in one of your pre-words about us as teachers always developing as well. And I think mm. that, that, that we need to learn to be more creative and we need to learn all the different ways that students learn and make sure we're adapting and we're enhancing what we deliver and not delivering the exact same thing because the students aren't the same each year anymore they're they're developing they're coming from a much more of a tech uh early years that we need to kind of develop and change and uh, we need to keep fresh as well yeah and i said that in the professional and personal development i'm actually just looking it really is a rant i start off with a rant i didn't realize <laughs> how much i was ranting at that point um yeah i do think that we need to prioritize our personal and professional development it's really really important i think we need to i mean as i say i've been teaching for over 20 years how i taught when i first started teaching i don't teach like that at all anymore i have continually have 
had to work on my professional development in order to keep up to date because education is continually changing and I'm really passionate about teachers you know making sure that they are doing the right thing for their professional development but also for their personal development um, and I think professional development also you know well I, I bang on about the career ladder in there because I've got a bit of a thing about the fact that I think within education people see it very much as a I just need to climb the ladder and after I do this I do this and after I do this I do this and I personally think that everyone's professional development is is their own and should be created by them I suppose that you know it's the creativity like where do you want to be and what do you want to do and what do you want your career to look like and it sounds when I when I'm talking to you it sounds like your career is really exciting because you're an art teacher but also you're leading art across is it 46 schools which yeah, is so yeah. ex so exciting and actually you've developed your career in a way that really works for you and probably makes you feel alive and excited and that's the thing because I get to look at kind of primary schools to special needs schools so I've got the whole range in there as well so it's quite interesting seeing all the different ways different schools do it and the different hurdles that different schools face um, and having to come up with different like ways of problem solving in different situations uh, and I really enjoy that and I but I do think that especially we, we're having our uh, our network day so we're actually trying to get the kids all out um, mm. the teach not the kids the teachers out for the day um to mm. all be together and and work at university which is a great opportunity but it's trying to get the buy in it from the teachers and then from the heads of the school to send them and i i think that's something like i've <laughs> i don't want to go into the topic of the strikes and things but yes pay is important but i also think mm. like teacher workload is really important and actually yeah. we need to address that because it's becoming more and more and more and actually if they were saying kind of actually teachers need kind of one extra free a week then actually that the, the teaching is going to be better also i feel like every teacher should be entitled to at least half a day of professional development and it become a norm and be encouraged for teachers to do that yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think professional development and having, having in a sense, a wider, more affordable way for teachers to engage in professional development. One of the things that, that really winds me up, so, so I do rant and I don't mean to, <laughs> Go for it. but it really winds me up. So I am a full-time teacher slash year leader. And yet lots and lots of conferences happen in the weekdays. Yeah, And I think, well, who is that benefiting? Because it's not benefiting the teachers in the classrooms that actually potentially are the ones that really need that professional development. So who is it benefiting? And I thought, you know, I often, there was there was lots of stuff advertised, I think it was yesterday or at the weekend on, on Twitter. And they look great conferences, but they're when I'm teaching. And that's the, the thing. Majority, is that yeah? Is that balance? Do you do you do the children suffer because they're going to have cover and then you're not going to be there, or mm. or it's it's that or or do you go and see the day and then you in theory hopefully it's going to benefit the student in the in the long term. I've <laughs> I've had a bit of a rough year. I I broke my foot, got a DVT and a pulmonary embolism. So my, I've been off and on. I had uh, off and on mm. a little bit. So I'm I just feel like 
I know that the university down the road's got a lovely teacher day next week and I'm like Mm. I can't I can't miss any more lessons because it's just not going to benefit the students at this point but um but yeah the the flip side of that is um we've got a um a network of East Anglian art teachers and there's there's various networks around the country that were set up by art teachers for that exact reason so they tend to do sessions on a Saturday or a Sunday where we can go and create and they're not very often but it's just great to go and collab and things but that was because we could never ever get to ones during the week because we weren't allowed out but i think that's the case i think get cover you know schools at the moment are you know budgets all of that with the electricity prices the gas prices everything else is just being hit yeah. left right and center i think cu- getting cover for a day to release someone ju- as well as say the, the conference it just is a lot of money and yeah. I think it's tricky because then what happens is that teachers aren't getting the professional development because they can't, well, can't afford it, can't access it, etc. It's really, really tricky. But I, re- I passionately believe that as teachers, we need professional development, which is why I love everything that's out there on Twitter, because I think it's really vital for us to engage with others and learn. It really is. I think that's the thing. I, I'm, I'm, I have, I have my moments. Like I'm, I'm quite addicted to it. And then I'll have moments where I'm like, oh, actually, I'll just kind of, just I, I don't have the brain space to do Twitter. And then other moments mm. I'm like, oh, I'll lose, I'll lose all evening, kind of scrolling through and reading stuff and reading what people are doing. And then it's just really like inspiring. Yeah, it really is. And I think there haven't been any recently but there were some absolutely brilliant virtual conferences at one point and that was really amazing I sitting in my bedroom listening to these unbelievable inspirational speakers really special but of course what's happened now is now that everyone's you know back out there no one's really doing anything virtually anymore and I think that it, it is it yeah it's it's so important that we engage professionally, but also, you know, pers- with our personal development, as, as I bang on about in the book a lot. <laughs> I was I was kind of that when COVID happened and everything went online. I was like a kid in a candy shop, like watching mm. everything. We had research ed- that was meant to be here, but they did that all virtually. And me and my friends, I think there was something like 30 odd videos and we divided and conquered. Like we all watched five each and then we all said which was our best one. Yeah. And then we all went back through and watched them all. So in theory, we watched the whole entire thing between us but like but other people wouldn't like outside of we were all at different schools but outside of us nobody else from our school like listened or watched to it it's 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 that that's why I'm looking at the book club one I was like I don't know how to get other teachers to be engaged in professional development kind of outside of kind of the inset like I have to be here I have to sit and listen to this like how to get them excited and engaged in it I think it's that case of just building it. I mean, interestingly, Dave has just um, been on the Tiny Voice Talks podcast to talk about the book club. Um, and I think it's really what he says. It, it was a slow burn, and it, but it, it eventually began to develop and develop and develop. What they did was they did it virtually, but they invited the authors of the books in. Oh, nice. And that was a great seller because, of course, you get the book, you invite the authors in, they talk about the book, and actually people were more willing to come along. And 
were able to really ask questions of the author as well as chat away about what they thought. And I think it's it's a genius idea, really. It is. I, th- I just think that uh, I don't know. I've, I, I've, you've made this look very easy. I'm like, oh, God, would I would I write an educational book? It looks like a lot of energy, and I don't know how you do it on top of teaching. Um, but also, and, it's kind and of one do of those the coaching that... apprenticeship. I just need yes. to say, I did it alongside the coaching apprenticeship as well, whilst working full time. <laughs> you're inspiring me i'm doing my uh, apprenticeship in senior leadership at the moment i was like maybe oh, i should just you? tag it on the end <laughs> it's it's yeah but that's why i'm like because i have to log six hours of off the job work mm. i am reading and doing a lot more and i'm really really enjoying it um but i don't know whether i'd have necessarily read this much if i hadn't had that motivation to do it but i guess it's, it's, it's that thing isn't it of finding finding a why and what drives you as to and I think that's that's a little bit my I feel like I've got a small voice being an art teacher I feel like I'm not necessarily taken as seriously as in senior leadership as a core subject but I'm, I like I love my role but I'm also like I really want to run my own school one day like and, and mm. the more I read as well it's like I want my school to be like that and like reading your book I, I really want it to have all these inclusive pockets and I want it to kind of be very nurturing and, and empathetic and understand stuff because I think that's that can be lost a little bit as well in the fact that it's like oh you can't have that number of days off oh that that try and get your hospital appointments outside of school and and that kind of we forget that people are humans and every day happens and that yeah. every everybody's situation is different. And actually, although teaching is stressful, and I imagine senior leadership is incredibly stressful post-COVID, but actually we need to think about kind of what it, it means. We, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that teachers are people as well as they're not just this yeah. machine, this cog. I think that's vital. And that's actually why I did the coaching apprenticeship, because um, weirdly, um, it, it all goes back to tiny voice talk. So when I was interviewing people for the podcast, I really loved listening. I loved listening to them and I loved sort of trying to understand where they were coming from. And I decided to do to, to start the coaching because I thought I'd really like to help people. And I think in our educational world, we can be, and I've said this earlier, we can be very other focused. We can be very worried about everyone else and we can forget ourselves. And actually, be looking after ourselves, looking after our personal development is so absolutely vital if we are to function well in the classroom because we are the weather in our classroom you know if we go in and we're having a grumpy day the children are affected if we go in and we're having sort of a really happy sunshiny day the the children are going to have a whale of a time but it's it's really hard I think to be able to coach ourselves which is why I wanted to be able to offer coaching and you know my head has been really fantastic in well you know I qualified and then I you know she sort of said well what do you want to do with it and I was like I just want to coach teachers when I can so I coach teachers in the morning before I start teaching oh, and I oh I love it and lo- loads of teachers say oh it's great because it sort of sets me up for the day um and I it really helps teachers to feel good about themselves because that well-being what you were alluding to is that well-being is absolutely vital we need to look after our staff 
And I think it's, we, I had um, Jim Knight on last week talking about instructional coaching. I just find it really mm. interesting and how you kind of flip it and, and get them to be more reflective. And I think that's, that's one thing oh, that I could develop that in teaching. Of, yeah, I don't do that sort of coaching at all. But, so but that kind any, of, yeah, the so element the coaching of. coaching I do is very much about, um, well, personal coaching, I suppose. So it's not teaching coaching. Oh, okay. Well, I was just, I was just thinking in terms of, kind of developing yourself like you yeah. have it like period you have the ECT years and that's great that that's changed to two years rather than it being one but after that other than your kind of performance management targets kind of that idea of kind of coaching kind of disappears and yeah. you're not necessarily as reflective as you could be and actually I feel like it that should be kept in some way throughout your kind of educational mm. career that you'll have those opportunities to reflect and but it, it also from a well-being point of view to ha- have those reflection points those pauses and, and to think about where you are and where what you need like we don't necessarily do that yeah absolutely now I think I mean the coaching that I do is very focused on well-being workload um and looking, you know, coaches setting themselves goals like, you know, subject leaders wanting to be able to write an action plan or whatever. Um, and actually me just sitting in the coach role as opposed to any other role. My role is not to, to give them the answers. I merely listen. And I think I've seen that happen so often in leadership where leaders are given coaches, but not as much with regards to teachers. And I think it's it's really vital because teachers need to we could drown underneath our workload currently. Mm. We really could. And I think it's so important that we learn to manage that workload and not drown. It's that it's it's knowing when you stop, because I I feel like Mm. I could work every minute of every day and it would never be enough. It would never be done. And actually, it it took quite a long time into my career before I realised actually me stopping and not doing it all isn't going to change the level of education those children are getting if anything it's going to be better because I'm going to have more energy and I'm not going to be as tired and it but it is that especially early on you feel like you have to get everything on that to-do list done I have a to-do book it's that big (laughs) but it's it's that kind of no it's I'm not working past this point I'm done Mm. I need to have that balance otherwise I am going to burn out it's quite it's, it's very tricky especially for I think younger teachers early on in their career I think it's really challenging. I was very lucky. My mum was a teacher and my mum said to me, I'm going to give you two pieces of advice. Number one, um, don't worry about your to-do list. You will never, ever, ever get to the end of it. And number two, make sure you take at least one day off at the weekend. And I have stuck to well, that the, the, the bit of that the to-do list I just don't worry about it and I always take at least one day off at the weekend and that just helps me to feel better she was a she's a wise woman my mother yeah mine's a teacher as well I, mm. I, 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 was, I was trying to work it out I think a lot of the hosts on teacher talk radio have all got parents that are in education <laughs> so we're just like does does it make you more like not ambitious, but more driven and more vocal being a child of a teacher because you've you've got that kind of like, in my day, it was like this, but Mm. you kind of, I don't know, you've got that, is it in the blood? Do you just know how to do it? (laughs) I don't know. It's a funny one because I was really anti becoming a teacher, but I do wonder if it's in the blood. I do wonder if you 
you know it's it, you naturally are able to do it more I don't know good, good question yeah, I was the same. I didn't want to be a teacher, but then I went traveling and became a scuba diving instructor. And they're like, it's just a teacher. Ooh. It's just a beach bum version. I'm like, you're not wrong. Mm. And same as that surf instructor I was speaking to you about earlier. Yeah. His mum is a teacher. And I'm like, <laughs> it's in the blood. Yeah. You'll be really good at it. It's just, it's, I just find it quite interesting that even I was like, I don't, I don't want to join the family business. But I, I, the second I did a lesson, I was like, oh, I should have done that sooner. Yeah, I just, I just, tried not to for a really long time <laughs> yeah I mean I'm someone that as soon as I walk into the classroom and start teaching I feel as if I've come home it makes me feel so happy every day when I, whenever I'm teaching I just love it you know and, and say 20 plus years and I still absolutely adore it that's the thing I just I do I do love it a lot my mum retired at 72 so I'm hoping I'm not still working at that point (laughs) she was like well all my friends volunteer two days a week so I might as well teach because I love it and get paid for it I was like fair enough um (laughs) COVID COVID when she had to learn how to teach through teams that was a very testing time in her career (laughs) um she was like no this might be the end of me but she did she did it she coped with it and did it um I mean my I think she did better on it than me my tutor groups just stitched me up so they were uh, we had live kind of tutor meetings once a week and mine were like let's have a dress up Friday and we'll all wear different hats and and I wore a whole flamingo costume and I turned up and one kid was in a Mexican hat and me in a flamingo and that was it out of 30 kids and they just laughed at me the whole half an hour sat there as a flamingo um but I won't forget it like that's that's the fun side that I'm going to (laughs) remember from COVID um and also the the yeah you do get especially with the teenagers you get the sarcasm and the funny side but there's just so much warmness that you can Mm. you can go into work and feel rubbish but actually you can come out of it feeling amazing because somebody said something and you just giggled and or you've just you've finally had something click and it just it's that it's it's not like any other sensation I don't think teaching oh it really isn't um I have I mean I have so many silly stories from my you know from my classroom my mum now has um Alzheimer's and she can't necessarily have a sort of a conversation easily because she she can't necessarily hold on and remember what you're saying so I just regale her with tales from the classroom every day. And I just tell her these silly stories of things Amazing. that have happened because every single day without fail. And for her, teaching is a really common language. She understands it. She remembers it. She remembers her time in the classroom. She remembers her time as a teacher. And she remembers it really fondly. So for her, talking about teaching is just the nicest thing and she just laughs out loud at some of the stories that I come up with and then she tells me you know some of her stories and that's lovely it really is it's funny the way teaching is the way that I connect with my mum and I I think that comes across in your book as well there's like the warmth and the the kind of connection of the people that have written the stories that they they genuinely believe it and it's Mm. it's their passion is coming over in it yeah and I think that's it, you know, all too often teaching can be talked about in very negative terms. But actually, for me, I love, I love teaching. You know, I actually moved um, after um, a, di- a very horrible di- diagnosis back in 2018. I decided to move 
away from leadership that I was I'd been in for five years and I moved back into the classroom and I haven't regretted it since I have accidentally moved back into the leadership but (laughs) that that was an accident but you know I just love it and what I want people to do when they read the book is actually just feel how wonderful teaching is and how wonderful it is the fact that we can impact on children and and actually yeah it's a wonderful thing teaching it's not a bad thing and that that's I, th- I can't remember which story it is but there's the story of the teacher that has the confession that she's been at the same school for 20 years oh she went she went for a job yeah. somewhere else and was like no we're coming back and it's just like it's 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 okay to stay where you are and it's okay to take a step down yeah. or a sideways move it's it's about what makes you happy and keeping your love of teaching absolutely and I think it's so true that often we say oh you need to move on oh you've been here too long you need to move on or you've been in the same year group for for too long and it's okay it's absolutely okay to do whatever feels right for you I mean Lucy loves her school loves her year group and so on and that's perfect and I think often we just feel that we need to do something different but actually it's okay it's that kind of you feel like you've like the ladder like you were saying you feel like you mm. need to go up that ladder like I very much feel like a lot of my friends are higher than me we all started together I should be there by now if only I had had stayed at my old school which was very kind of CPD very quick to push people up if I'd stayed at that school I would have been higher by now but I'm like but I moved because I had a child and actually it was a better work-life balance so it's like yeah. But my, my life is better because I didn't stay and go in that. But it, it's very, very hard not to listen to those voices. And I suppose in, inner voices of like, oh, I should be there by now. Um, but it's, it's I, I think also if a, if a school has staff that have been there that long, like I've got I've got one, our, um, he's, he's now our assistant head, but I think he's been there for, for years and years and years. There's quite a lot of staff that have been there long long times and seen like three or four heads come through. And I just think it's mm. it's quite nice when there are teachers that have been there the whole way through I think it's so important it really is the school that I work in lots of people just remain there and I it's I love it there I absolutely love the school I teach in and it's really nice because it's a strong community where people aren't moving on very much and you know I I didn't know that I'd remain there that this long and I, I don't think I'm it's unlikely and if my head teacher is listening I'm really sorry but it's unlikely they're ever going to leave me because I just love it there. <laughs> I really yeah. do I have no desire to move on and I think that's okay but I you know back in 2018 when I sort of left leadership I threw away the ladder because I was very much actually you know I'm my body is not well I need to do what's right for me and I don't I don't want to do this bit and I I sort of want to go and do something that brings me joy which is the teaching and I sort of threw away the ladder and then ever since I've been sort of recreating things so I've sort of you know I see it more as a climbing wall which I talk about in the book the fact that actually we don't necessarily have a career ladder there's a career climbing wall and you can create all your different paths and sometimes you may just want to stay where you are and sometimes you might want to 
move up a bit and sometimes you might want to go down a rung or two and that's all okay because it all depends on where you are and what you're doing in your life at that moment you know if you when you had a baby you probably just wanted to pause for a bit because having a baby is quite challenging and I, I, and I think it's that isn't it it's it's working out how to have the balance and, and know that it's okay that you don't have to do it all constantly I think that's it I, I was coaching a 25 year old um a while ago who basically had mapped out their entire career and by the age of 29 they were going to be head teacher yeah wow <laughs> and I was just like for me my question is always is it going to bring you joy like is that going to bring you joy smashing it out and hitting that point and actually if you if you become a head teacher at the age of 29 and you don't retire until 67 that means you're going to be in headship for 38 years is that what you want because yeah. that's just, you know it that's the thing it's like what is it you want and is it going to bring you joy and, for and me, I wonder yeah mm. I wonder whether that contributes to burnout a little bit as well with yeah earlier teachers taking on head of year roles or head mm -hmm. of subject roles or earlier on than they should when they haven't necessarily honed their craft and then they can't cope because it's just too much pressure I think honing their craft I love that phrase because I truly believe teaching is a craft and I think the first thing we need to do is, um, as teachers is to hone our craft and really learn to teach well so we are comfortable in our classrooms. Only then do we take on extra responsibility. And actually, once, once we've honed our craft, our craft isn't unbelievably challenging and doesn't take hours and hours and hours of preparation as such. And it's then when you can take in the extra stuff but I think because of the pressure to run on, because of this pressure, because I don't know what this thing is about people needing to be, you know, in senior leadership posts by the age of 30, but it seems to be a thing at the moment. It's, it's like, actually, if we have to keep going until we're 68, that's 38 years where you're going to be in some form of leadership role, when actually you've spent X number of years at university learning to teach so you're going to teach for a couple of years and then do a job that you didn't actually train in yeah that's what I'm, I'm kind of quite happy with my apprenticeship and taking my time yeah. and and making sure I know everything before I get into it like I don't want Absolutely. to I want to be able to offer something and bring something to the table I don't want to go there just literally just having enthusiasm I want to go and be able to actually do the job properly and make a difference mm. and do it well and I think necessarily like there's lots that are going up early and aren't able to kind of haven't got the skills yet um so it's kind of quite interesting I don't I don't know whether I, I would be very intrigued to find out at what point people generally leave teaching as to whether it's kind of I know quite often it's within the first few years because they just can't kind of cope with it but then what the next bit is do people leave when they kind of hit senior leadership and then realize that actually this is harder than they thought or whether um or they're just retiring earlier because it's because it, they've been doing it for so long they need that it's they're too exhausted it'd be quite interesting to see kind of where the other end of the spectrum is i think it's it's an interesting one 
I, I think when people go into senior leadership, once they're there, it is tricky to then go back into the teaching because you sort of think, oh, God. I mean, I remember when I went back into teaching and I really worried that people would think I'd failed. Like, mm. I've got a really nice offset with my name on, but I really worried that people would think that I had failed because I was suddenly back teaching again. Um, and actually, it was it was a choice and it was a considered choice but I worried. And I think, you know, the people that stay in teaching and the people that, I've got a friend and she started at the same time as me. And all she's ever done, all she's ever done, that sounds awful, is teach. (laughs) That's what she wanted to do. And I remember having so many conversations with her, well, do you not want to do this? And do you not want to do this? And she said, no, I just want to teach. And she is so happy. Because what she is doing is what she loves doing, rather like your mum. You know, I think that's the thing. When we are doing what we love, we're happy. But when we're sort of out of our comfort zone and and living in a way that we feel we should, it's that, you know, I should do this. I should progress in my career. I should go for this, you know, for this job. And then we're doing something that actually doesn't feel as happy and joyful then we suddenly go oh actually i think i'll leave and i i do wonder if you know a lot of senior leaders who suddenly realize that they're doing a job that is not in a sense is nothing to do with what they trained to do i do wonder if that's when they then go actually i need to leave education and and that's that's really sad um, it brings me around to your kind of what is it, the big wings for tiny voices, the saying no. That's the bit I feel like everybody needs to master. Mm-hmm. I'm very much a like, yes, of course I'll do that. Yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but learning to say no and put those boundaries in is so important, especially early on in your career. It's really hard. I think now that I'm quite long in the tooth, I'm quite good at saying no. But I think it is really challenging when you are being asked, and especially when you are really wanting to shoot up the career ladder, to actually say no, to look at the big picture and go, do you know what, that's really unmanageable, to say no, so that you avoid, as you said, you know, that burnout, you avoid that burnout, you're looking at the big picture and thinking, is this going to work, you know, and I think that phrase of, can I get back to you, is just great. Oh, I like that. So yeah. rather, yeah. So rather than saying uh, no, you can just go. Oh, can I get back to you on that one? Because I think that's great. It just gives you an out in that moment, and then you can email later with a, a no or a, or a different suggestion. Another one that I've worked on with my coach is a great one, which is saying, "I'll tell you what I can do. I'll tell you what I can't do. I can oh, do this." Good. Yeah. I can't do this. And then you close, he always says, close the gate. So I think that that for me really works. I'll tell you what I can do and this is what I can't do. And also, and, I suppose, finding the finding out what the criteria is first, because quite often you yeah. say yes, and actually it ends up being way more than you think it is. And now you've said oh, yes and you can't yeah. back out of it. And Or it's like, oh, actually, I thought I'd get game time for that and actually I'm not. And now I don't have time to do it. And when am I going to do it? And it's mm. it's but I've said yes so I can't so I think it is it's it's teachers having that kind of script that they can slow that down have that pause set out expectations and I think I think that's great yeah 
it's for me I think that's absolutely vital because I used to be someone that said yes to everything and then I'd be drowning underneath it and would be vaguely resentful about the fact that I was doing all this work you know and it's it's that kind of like the bigger voices shout louder but actually Mm. the smaller voices can can be heard and it's just making sure that you're not afraid to kind of speak out when things are too much because and that's one thing I've learned at my school with having teachers that have been there for for a really long time when new heads come in they do go actually that's not going to work for us or have you considered that we're not overly happy to do that and I've never seen that before happen and I think it's really interesting to to see that and and kind of almost like heads of department working as a collective of being like actually this isn't working for us or actually we need this and and listening to the teachers is really important when you are in senior leaders and and kind of work again having that collective voice and not being afraid to let it be heard yeah it it's it, i was at a headship conference a couple of months ago actually and i was talking about tiny voices and i was talking i was asking them who they listen to um, and I, I didn't ask them to give me any answers as such, but I was just interested in who do they listen to in the staffing body? Because I wonder, you know, I think all too often senior leaders can listen to senior leaders, but actually those tiny voices that are so quiet that they're often not heard have an awful lot to say and an awful lot of wisdom. You know, we are, those tiny voices are the ones that usually are teaching usually um, don't sort of say very much at meetings and actually as I say they have so much wisdom and I was fascinated to know if anyone actually listened to those tiny voices because I think if every single leader listened to those voices just like you were saying your school does I think there's an awful lot to be said for that because those voices hold so much information and it's it's yeah and it's I think it is that kind of having the confidence to say it especially if you're starting at a new school as well and or kind of getting a vibe of of what everyone else is feeling because quite often you can feel like oh well that's what everyone else is doing so I must do it mm. and actually kind of there's quite a, quite often better uh, ways of doing things it's just making voice heard and I think that that brings me back to the dyslexic side is that I know that when I was in meetings at uh, at my old school and we're like right we need to do this I'm like well why don't we do this and everyone's like I never ever thought about that because I know I think Mm. about things differently and things that I think are an obvious solution are not obvious to everybody else so I kind of it's interesting kind of seeing and hearing the way other people do things and I think sharing practice and going and seeing other people teach as well is really interesting and kind of not being kind of stuck in my own little bubble that I do kind of see it as a school and a community of, of teachers yeah you you've brought to mind actually last year um someone came worked in our year group who was new to the school and new to the year group and she just kept asking why and it was the most bizarre thing because you say oh, we're doing xyz and she go why <laughs> and you'd be like because it, it, it the actual explanation so because we are and actually what i found was that why it was brilliant i i absolutely love it a bit 
Um, and the fact that she just asked why made us really think deeply about why we were doing these things. And I thought, what courage to start a new school, to start in a new year group and to just say why. And I said to her one day, what, why do you always ask why? And she said, because I want to understand. I thought, wow, yeah, of course, of course, that's why she was asking. But I said, I don't think I've, I ever, I, I know that I'd never started a new school and had the courage to say why to people that were just sort of, you know, been doing, well, this is what we've done for the last 50 years, you know, we just wheel it out. But instead she would go, but why, why do we do that? And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I mean, she was a real inspiration for the Tiny Voice Talks. I suppose it's that that buy-in, isn't it? If you can understand why something mm. works and why it, it happens the way it does, then mm. they're more likely to understand it. I had that with um, a trainee. Um, they were like, oh, I need to assess something because that's what my target is for this week. And I was like, well, but why are we going to do that? It has to benefit the kids. So we're not just going to assess it for yeah. the sake of it. And we're not going to just assess one class because that benefits that class and not everyone else. So we're all going to do it. So if you want us all to, to assess need to explain to us why we're assessing and what's going to benefit yeah. that child. And it was like a complete click in her mind that it was like, oh, okay, it's, 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 I've, I've actually got to think about why I'm doing it. I'm not just doing it to tick a box. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's something that a lot of schools get drawn into, especially with Ofsted, that they need to tick boxes and actually being that voice of kind of, no, why are we doing this? It needs to, what, how does it benefit the kids? It's kind of needs to be the mantra that's my mantra. Like, if it doesn't benefit the kids, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really, yeah, absolutely. And I think my book—I don't even know if we do refer to Ofsted in it. But no, I, I don't think I read Ofsted anywhere, <sighs> which is nice. No, <laughs> I've ruined it. I've brought it up. <laughs> I don't teach for Ofsted. I teach for the children in front of me, and I don't believe that any of the contributors teach for Ofsted. They teach for the, to the children in front of yeah. them, and I think that is so critical. You know, Ofsted are there. We can't get rid of them. They're there, but that doesn't mean that I need to teach or plan or mark for them. I need to do that for the children in front of me, and that I think was you know again so important and I suppose the whole tiny voice thing you know Ofsted's one of those big voices isn't it yeah it's one of those big voices that says you must do this or you mustn't do this but actually you know we are the ones that really really are living and breathing on the ground which leads me on to I was, just, I was kind of trying to remember my favorite kind of ones I really like the tiny steps for better well-being mm -hmm. I'm on my well-being committee so I find it um really interesting but that kind of but it, it it was quite nice in the fact that it was kind of almost transferable to the students as well and thinking yeah. about kind of their well-being and the kind of the breathing techniques and things like that just simple things that mm -hmm. actually teachers could kind of if all students knew that and it's like right okay can you just do just count backwards or and it just kind yeah. of little things that can make big differences I think mm -hmm. are important and it, it is it's it's staff well-being as well as student well-being but I'd never thought to put the two together before yeah absolutely it, it is I think if one of the best ways that I look after my well-being is teaching things to my children because they'll remind me I have to do it <laughs> Mrs Bono we haven't done our breathing today oh right everyone let's let's do our breathing then you know and it does it's brilliant it centers me 
And have you got a favourite one? Are you allowed to say if you've got a favourite one? I don't. I have ones that... I don't have any specific favourites. Um, but I think that, you know, there are some that... Like the one that really made me think was the understanding smarter in five quotes. That was like, a, oh my goodness! I remember, I remember reading it initially and just going, whoa! And but I think chapter twenty-two, which was the "Who Am I," that really resonated with me. And again, comes back to what I've, we've talked about before, um, you know, earlier on in here, which is the fact that we're very other-centered, and often educators can lose sight of who they are, who we are, who I am you know, who am I? You know, who is Toria? And it's, I think that's really important in order to be a really good teacher, in order to be a really good leader, I need to know who I am, what matters to me, what my values are. And actually, that very much knowing who I am means that then I'll know where I'm best placed to work, because actually, I need to work somewhere where my values um mesh with the values of the place that I'm working in and that chapter I can't say it's my favorite because I'm not my favorite <laughs> I feel like that, it's like your class that you love them all equally <laughs> yes uh, exactly but that that question and considering it I feel we don't do enough of as teachers and I and I think for me that one's an absolute go-to chapter because I think every single teacher needs to understand who they are and leader I would say who they are what matters to them and what their values are because only then do you know where you want to go and I think that that, that then naturally leads to whether or not you want to climb that ladder or do something different or whatever else because you know who you are and I think that that's it and it's okay to kind of be a little bit individual and kind of let students see part of yourself you don't have to be this separate Mm. entity with this whole facade up like you can let your personality come out and and everyone's going to teach slightly differently because everyone's personality is slightly different and everyone's strengths and weaknesses are slightly different yeah completely I remember very early on in my career thinking that I needed to be like the woman next door and I couldn't be because I'm me I'm apparently according to people that watch me teach I'm very individual um and I don't I don't know what that means exactly but I I can't be someone else in the classroom I just have to be me and I can't be someone else in leadership I just have to be me I have to be who I am and I think that's so utterly vital we cannot be the person in the next classroom or the leader in the next office we have to be who we are and be our authentic selves in order to really serve the children and the community as best we can and and nobody knows the children better than you like you Mm. know the pupils that you teach and and your gut and your knowledge is what's going to get them there absolutely absolutely sometimes because I'm a year four teacher and I have my children 24 7 I think sometimes they're sick to death how well I know them 
<laughs> it's when you get called mum, I get it all the time. I'm like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we're in secondary school now. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing that still. Yeah. But it then shows you how much you matter in that moment to that child. It is. I, I feel like I'm at the time of the year where it's quite emotional, where like mm. a cohort leaves and you kind of lose them. And I suppose it's the same in primary school if you're like a year six teacher or, or seeing the kids that you've passed on kind of move along. It's it's kind of every year you're like, I've, I've done good. I'm going to send them out into the world and they'll they'll be all right. They'll they'll be okay. You've kind of left them in a good place. Well, as you've read the book, you'll know my love of butterflies. And my classroom is festooned in butterflies. I have them everywhere. And on the last day of term, I wear a butterfly skirt. And I wear the butterfly skirts. I tell all my children that they began at the beginning of the year as caterpillars. And now I'm releasing them into the world as butterflies. And butterflies for me make, you know, I just adore them as I say but for me they are very much my little people finding their wings and flying at the end of the year that's I love that I love that metaphor it's lovely and we have reached 7 30 gosh I've, I know. I've thoroughly I've... enjoyed that we've been chatting well I've got to say when you said 7 30 I see goodness I don't think I'll be able to go for an hour and a half but I've, I've you know clearly I don't I'm never I'm not quiet <laughs> I've enjoyed our rants and putting the teaching world to rights but also Absolutely. kind of letting some of those voices be heard and I just cannot recommend the book enough I, I really enjoyed it and considering I'm dyslexic I, I read it really quickly as well and mm. and for me I really struggle to read but I, I, I enjoy it and I, I really enjoyed kind of listening to this and hearing your voice and hearing the other people's voices as well there's just so much that resonates with teachers and there's something for everybody like you said it doesn't matter what sector you're in there's something that everybody can get out of it. Well I'm so I'm so grateful you said that and thank you so much for talking so kindly about the book you know Tiny Voices Talk is yeah, I'm incredibly proud of it. And I'm incredibly proud of the fact that in that book are 37 voices that are now being heard and hopefully will empower others to use theirs. They certainly will. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you if you tuned in a bit late, you, this will be available to listen back to um, shortly. So thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your evening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.